Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. David Dacker, your host. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time of the year again to get back to New Orleans and do Tales of the Cocktail. Unfortunately, Louisiana and, and New Orleans in particular is uh, flooding right now. This is uh, the 12th of July. So let's hope that by the time the uh, the 17th rolls around, the uh, 16th, 17th, you know, when the, the kickoff party happens, that all of this has passed. So I'm going to do a Tales of the Cocktail episode on Sunday. Once uh, we see what uh, what's going to happen, I am not going to be able to attend, but I'm going to see if I can get a few of the veterans here in Houston to sit down with me and talk about their experience at Tales in previous years. Last week, I was able to get together with uh, Patrick Abalos again, um, talk to him a little bit about his experience at uh, World Class afterwards because he went to, he went to uh, Nationals. And then we also kind of touch a bit on the different programs that are happening around the city that are opening up. Um, there's quite a few that are that are have gone online through so far the first week of July. All right, so I'm here with uh, Patrick Abalos once again. Uh, he already went to DC, was it? Kentucky, Kentucky. Oh yeah, that's right, distillery. Uh, for world class, it was uh, I imagine a great experience, and um, you know I wanted to, to come by talk a little bit about that experience briefly because I think it's important to um, I, I think it, not important but fun I would say to uh, hear how those experiences um, not just occur but also help you develop and uh, you know changes usually your point of view so thank you for coming by again yeah thank you for having me it's always fun to, to be here and sit and discuss kind of what's going on here in the Houston market and then talking about world class as usual it's always a fun thing to take part in every year and I'm, I think this this is probably going to be my final year unless I do have the regionals next year in Houston that would be the only reason <laughs> why I would enter again but hopefully we'll be, I'll be too busy next year with uh, the bar we're hoping to open so I mean world class is one of those competitions where it's pretty well known within the industry and it kind of adds to who you are as a person I mean once you get into world class you kind of can add that to your resume so it helps kind of sell yourself both in, from the consulting standpoint and from your personal bartending standpoint so it's always it's always something to enter even if you don't get in you can say you entered world class and you didn't quite make it in this year but you can always try and get in the next year um of course world class is about bartending again it's one of the harder bartender competitions because it's not just about a singular cocktail it's about who you are as a person behind the bar and how you sell yourself and your brand behind the bar and kind of bringing that full circle with the cocktails that you can create so how was it competing in the uh distillery it was fun. I mean, uh, so we were at the brand new um, um, distillery center, the not distillery, but the uh, visitor center for Bullet. So we went out there. So the competition itself consisted of it was we were there for three days. Um, the first day we were actually at the apiary. So it took place in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, the first day we were at the apiary, which was it's a really nice, uh, I guess, really refined event space. So they had us there doing the first two challenges. Um, and that was really fun. We were pretty much there from 8 o'clock till 5 o'clock that day, just 
getting ready for our sessions and doing the videography and everything else that they had us doing. Um, they had a really cool green room, so we had our own little like stations that were like six foot tables that were divided into, and we had uh, my buddy was Kevin King, and he's actually just got promoted to becoming a GM, and I can't remember the city right now, but he was pretty excited about that, and we pretty much were right next to each other the entire competition, so kind of connecting with other individuals across the nation. It's pretty cool. Um, but the first two days, uh, the first day was at the APRA, and that one was revolving around the Kentucky Bake Off. Uh, so that one we pretty much created. They gave us a list of six or seven Kentucky uh, original desserts, and we had to make a cocktail that was either complimentary or contrasting to that one. So I decided to do a derby pie, which is essentially like a, I guess, is a like a chocolate chip cookie in a pie crust. So I essentially did a riff on a Manhattan where I infused some uh, bullet rye with, or bullet bourbon with uh, toasted pecans for about a week and just kind of let it chill. I kind of got all those tannins out of it and gave it a little bit more of a body bone dry dryness that I was looking for. And then I infused vermouth with cocoa nibs. So of course there's chocolate chips in, in the derby pie. So kind of playing on the three the flavor profiles that were built into it. And then I butter fat washed Angostura because I said, why not? Why not butter fat washing in the store? So it was delicious. I mean, it's something definitely I'm definitely going to use at the program when we do open the bar is having some butter fat washing in the store. It's delicious. Um, you had mentioned a media training that you guys did, and I think that's uh, uh, very interesting, and you wrote an article about that recently. So, so we had a 30-minute interview with um, a videographer who came in. Pretty much we went down into the dungeon of the space, and we sat down and... They asked us a bunch of questions um, about our world-class experience and the whole entire process. There was about two weeks out from Nationals. We actually went through an hour and a half, or about an hour, training, media training with a PR company, basically saying how to present and present yourself to media and when you're talking to reporters and how to to represent yourself because reporters can be someone who likes, who likes digging into certain emotions and just maintaining maintaining your core and trying to stay on top of your your emotions during that time and that just kind of led into that article i got published um in chill magazine talking about how to maintain your your bartending brand in today's environment and again we're in a very interesting time and i guess all of our lives where everybody's kind of not necessarily likes walking on eggshells about certain things and people don't have as much i guess don't have as have very thin skin nowadays so we got to be very careful about how we're presenting ourselves to others. Um, so that's where that article kind of revolved around the three pillars where I talked about emotional intelligence, which is really important. Uh, it takes a while to develop. Some people develop it a lot quicker. Some people take some time for them to develop and start understanding others, how others are feeling and just kind of how to interpret that as, as a person and how to be able to match what they feel and understand what they're feeling and getting that message across is really important especially since we're as bartenders we're in, in front of a bunch of different clientele and everybody's going through something different and just kind of understanding how to approach each person and of course we all have our kind of standardized of how we break the ice but sometimes we have to do modify it based on the individual that's kind of where the uh, emotional intelligence side of it comes from uh, the other pillar i talked about was actions and words and again just making sure you're paying attention to your body language and how you're talking to others and your appearance both online and online and offline and make sure they're mirroring each other so don't be a different person online that you are offline because then that kind of affects your entire brand it doesn't make it bring one 360 approach to it so 
it's kind of where you deviate from who you are as a person online and that's what we see today as well we have a lot of people who are a different person online instead of and then when we meet them in person they're completely different and again it's just it's one of those things where a message can be interpreted thousands of different different ways depending on who it is it's like even like a text message like it's probably happened to most people where you send a text message to someone <laughs> and it's, it's interpreted like no that's not what i meant at all and then yeah something happens from it and then you got to go back and say no I, this is what i meant about what i was trying to say yeah and that's just something that we all kind of have to work around as well even from emails like emails in corporate world like there's certain managers that would email me i'm like i don't understand what you're trying to tell me are you trying to tell me this are you trying to tell me this and that's normally when it's easier just to pick up the phone and talk to someone in that instance and i think a lot of people tend to forget that 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 portion of it they like texting and we live in a texting and emailing kind of world and sometimes you need to pick up the phone and talk it out congratulations on getting that uh, article published uh, you're doing something that i think is is I've been wanting to see more of and I guess this is probably the right the best way of doing it because I've thought that bartenders need to start writing about the industry and not let writers that have never bartended do it and that's where again a lot of that miscommunication occurs or misinterpretation occurs because you know some articles out there we read it and you're like what, what bar are you talking about like what who are these bartenders because I don't know any of them yeah the spritzgate so like the whole thing that happened with um, who was it i can't remember what the, the publication was it was somewhere up north northeast but the whole thing about the aperol spritz being the worst cocktail in the world and again that's a, a writer who's never actually worked in a bar and probably is going to a certain bar who does who a bartender who maybe doesn't quite know how to make it so again that's being more again how we're kind of in a more reactive kind of environment as, a, as a, instead of being proactive so they see something, they're going to write about it, and then they, they, they want to get clicks. So essentially, yeah. they, they create an, uh, an article that they know they're going to create something where it creates a, a whole entire, the whole spritzgate thing that happened. That I guess it's probably what we're going to coin it nowadays, the Apple spritzgate that happened. And then <laughs> again, it's just one of those things where it's better to have also have, like you said, us on the other side of the bar kind of talk about it, who kind of understand it a little bit better than the food writers who not necessarily don't. I'm not saying they're not educated, but don't necessarily understand the other side of it, right? Because there's always two sides of the coin, like you said. What are some of your, of your favorite bars in Houston? Bars. And then what are some of your favorite programs in Houston? Okay. Um, so some of the favorite bars that I like in Houston, if we're talking bars, it's going to probably be Anvil. Um, Johnny's Goldbrick is another good one. Um, if I'm feeling in the mood for just like a Lone Star and a beer, Cottonmouth Club is always a good bar to just go to and hang out and talk to the bartenders because you have a relationship with them. I think there's, there's a whole list of bars I like going to. I like go to Nancy's Hustle every so often because of the food program they got going. If we're talking programs, Nancy has a really good Nancy's Hustle has a good food program. Um, as far as programs, Johnny's has probably a really good program where again they have rotational menus. So there's a lot of back work that these bartenders are doing to get that menu up and going. Um, they're meeting every, it seems like every single week on Tuesdays, they have round table or deep cleaning or something. So it's a very tight knit, um, bar team that they have at Johnny's. So of course, Anvil has a really good program too with Tommy and Bobby running it. Of course it's Bobby, but Tommy's running the bar right now. Um, and of course the whole training program they got behind that, that bar is always probably one of the top ones in the, in the country. Um, but again, Johnny's is also a good representation of kind of bridging that gap between like the craft cocktail movement and having more of that, that more relaxed, casual feel. 
Um, and then even with the bar program that we're designing, it's going to be more of that they're going to it's going to be very intensive, but it's also going to have that down casual feeling where anybody who who's walking in the door feels home and welcome and not walking into as there's a certain there's a certain type of pretentiousness that certain craft cocktail bars have uh, that we're trying to again bridge the gap and what we're seeing what we've seen in the future or what me and Justin talk about and what we see the future of craft cocktail movement is more of those hybrids of high high class craft cocktails and diviness kind of balancing itself out where anybody the average joke can walk in and still feel comfortable and order a Bud Light but if someone wants to come in and have a really really dope margarita or uh, vucre they can come and order something like that or craft cocktail that's on the menu that the bartenders created each month or what have you or if they want to have a nice pour of old Fitzgerald they can have a nice pour of old Fitzgerald or if they want crown royal they can have crown royal that's just one of those things of building a program that's very approachable to anybody on the market it's really important so chris morris is doing mad and so what do you know about that so i was actually talking to someone about that today and uh, i did some research into it and it's it's more of a like a i guess from my understanding it's like a spanish style tapas hybrid restaurant and all the pictures i'm seeing look great on facebook all, and all the distributors and everybody that have and the suppliers that have been stopping in it looks like he's doing some pretty fun stuff. I actually have not stopped in yet, but it's on my list to go check out to see kind of what he's doing there. It looks pretty fun. I know it's a very gin-focused menu. Last time I talked to him, and he's actually really excited about everything that he's been doing. So I'm curious to see. I know he's probably doing that the beeswax cocktail that he did for, I don't know if it's, it was, might have been for uh, MIB, so uh, Bombay Sapphire's most imagined bartender competition that he did. Was it two years ago now? Maybe two years ago now that he did some kind of beeswax, again, fat-washed um, gin. And I'm kind of excited to see what he's he's doing right now with that. Um, and then, of course, you got to cut the uh, monkey tail, which just opened in, in the Garden Oaks area. Is it Garden Oaks? Yeah. Garden Ridge, somewhere up there, past, <laughs> past the heights. Um, but Greg Pettis, who was um, prior to that with Cayonce and um, Edison and Patton, uh, this is doing some fun stuff, and I still need to come out there. I was invited to friends and family, and I didn't quite make it out there this week just because of the pop-up I was doing on Monday. Um, but I'm looking, I'm hearing really good things from everybody that's been out there. The pizzas on the pizzas that they're doing is supposed to be really on point. Cocktails are spot on for what Greg is known for doing, so I'm actually really excited to see how that one's happening. And then, of course, gin apparently is a really big thing here in Houston right now. So you have Mad that just opened, and then... I see you're pulling up 17, uh, what is it, 17, 1751, it just opened as well in the Heights, and that's, they, their claim to fame is having the most gin in, in Houston, and... I think she told me 200. 200, wow. Yeah, that's that's a pretty, that's a pretty impressive list. Yeah. Um, I know I went there, it's almost been two months, me and Justin actually stopped in there, and um, Chelsea, who's we also know as well um, through, from the industry, she's doing a real great program there, and I, the cocktails were pretty, pretty good pretty on point when we went and tasted as well and the oysters of course gin and oysters is just <laughs> one of those things that's match made in heaven so i'm actually it's a really exciting time for houston there's a lot of things that are coming and even next year i think there's going to be a few more things coming like we're hoping to open in in quarter one of 2020 and i know there's a few other places that are going to be opening so houston's having another one of a small boom that's happening as far as people's the next generation of bars opening and bartenders opening bars so yeah. it's exciting times one thing that you are noticing, or I've noticed as well, even just coming from corporate hotels experiences, hotels are starting to get into the game of de- redeveloping bars and bringing consultants in to make their bars more 
I guess, craft focused. So when we were in Lexington, we were staying at the 21C, and of course, 21C has really good bar programs. Um, the beverage director who does the entire program for for the actual group is she she does a great job. So um, we're starting to see hotel bars kind of trying to jump jump in on this as well and redesigning their their bars to not just be that that whole quintessential plain paint lobby bar that you're used to they're trying to create more destination spaces so just even like death and co and with their expansion that they're trying to do nationwide the opening of the death and co in in denver is in a hotel it's a lobby it's a hotel lobby bar that they opened and again it's just we're starting to see that trend where the hotels are starting to get on board with like we need to create something that's going to be a destination within the hotel and not just the lobby bar in the so and the so and so hotel in Houston, Texas, or in Denver, Colorado, or in Phoenix, Arizona, or LA. Even like the Nomads, the Nomad hotels have their their bar program is is a destination in itself. It's not just the Nomad; it's the bar in the Nomad hotel. The first old fashioned I ever had that was worth a shit was actually at uh, Bistro Vino. Place not around anymore. And this was a place that was a, a, a house right there on the west uh, Alabama and Montrose. It's something else now. But they had this upstairs piano bar, and the place was lend itself. It has a veranda, <laughs> and it lends itself for uh, um, weddings. So we would do weddings Two on, two on, one on Friday night, two Saturdays, and two on Sundays. Like, we would rotate the shit out of that. Um, but it had a really quaint feel to it, you know. And Eddie, this, you know, guy must have been, like, late 50s. Um, I think it was for New Year's. You know, I asked him, uh, you know, he says, Hey, you know, you've done a great job since you started here. You've been here for a few months. You know, I'll give you whatever you want uh, that's behind the bar. And I'm like... Yeah, I'll take the Knob Creek or Basil Hayden, something like that. But then he asked me if I ever had an old-fashioned. I said no. And so he goes on and makes it. He made it an old-school way, which was, you know, with the piece of orange and the cherry and the sugar and all that. But he took his time making it. And he's actually, because I hate the ones with the cherry and the, and, the, and the orange, usually. But that was actually really good. And, um, and it was the first time that I ever saw that old school way of bartending and i you know i vaguely remember him uh mentioning the uh, iba i didn't know what it was i didn't really care at the time you know i was just waiting tables i'm like i, I just want to work five hours and you know make a couple hundred bucks uh type of attitude and so but i appreciated him because he had a real he had that classy bartender uh approach to where he knew he could just figure out people real quick by the way they they uh, asked for their for their drinks, how he would serve it, and uh, the vest, the bow tie, uh, all that. So, but yeah. So you got some pop-ups coming up. Uh, tell me. So, a couple pop-ups we're doing. Again, I just did one here on on Monday at uh, Mongoose versus Cobra. Um, they wanted to do something to kind of celebrate me getting a world class nationals. I'm like, okay, we'll do a bar takeover and. Me being a semi-masochist decided to do like eight cocktails, um, so I might not necessarily do that again, but I probably will because that's what I'm known for, is doing a lot of cocktails and a lot of different cocktails and kind of invited my bar kid out, Zach, who works at Ninterama right now, and then he works at Night and Go Room as well. Um, I brought him on board and we kind of 
coordinated on some of the cocktails that I did as submission cocktails for world class. Those were kind of prep was pretty easy. But then we also did four other cocktails that I just came up with on the fly. Um, for some reason, I've had an obsession for sumac and marshmallow root. And if you talk to Justin about it, he's probably getting really annoyed with me because I always <laughs> talk about sumac. And he told me, reminded me again this week, like, you need to stop thinking about sumac and do something different. Patrick, thank you again uh, for coming by and uh, sharing some of your ideas, sharing your experience in world class. Definitely got to have you back whenever, uh, even bef- way before uh, you open. Um, I got to get Justin back here for him to tell me about the uh, the the, the win uh, with Heaven Hill, and um, yeah, and let's keep uh, making this uh, Houston bar scene as great as it can be. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always great to be here and talk. So, looking forward to the next one. So after having this uh, conversation with Patrick, I was able to snatch one of those tables at MAD. Um, they seem to have quite the wait for their reservations, but I'm sure that's just because it's a new restaurant and it'll level off. I got to say that the pictures really um, pretty much do the place justice. It is an amazing build out. Every inch of that place is uh, built to to be photographed, to be looked at. Um, it is, and I hate to use the word, uh, but it is sort of a spectacle in itself, and that's the very nature of it. Um, it is uh, meant to give you a very unique experience, and uh, I really enjoyed it for that. The octopus was uh, excellent, um, one of the most tender and delicious octopus I've had in the city of Houston. Then there was the, the beef. Beef was great, but it, you know, it was uh, medium rare. So that was good. The um, those parmesan that was looked like a tomato and <laughs> uh, had basil inside of it, and it was green. It was just it was amazing. Uh, the food presentation was really truly outstanding, and um, you know you got to give it up to them to to them because the uh, the work that every that whole team is putting together in order to give the Houston food scene a very unique experience. Um, Give it up. Chris Morris was there, very busy at the bar. The cocktails were good. I had one, wish I remember the name of it, but it was the green green tea one. And um, it has, it's uh, served from a kettle that has uh, dry ice. And so it's got uh, smoking and, you know, it's it's a very uh, beautiful presentation and the place lends itself to somewhat of an uh, outrageous uh, presentation and cocktail. Um, even though I don't, the cocktails were not outrageous, if they wanted to push the envelope even more, then that is the place to do it. If they wanted to do some aviary type shit, that's the place that I would expect it in. So um, I look forward to visiting again. Went over around the corner to Lock Bar. And uh, that was a very, very cool place. It's a bar that I would probably hang out at. Just because it's clean, it's, it's classy, it's, uh, it's got a very, uh, it's got nice casual elegance to it. Um, went to Bisu. Bisu is exactly what it's supposed to be. Um, you know, it's dinner at a nightclub. Um, and then uh, we got to see the space for Uzo which is uh, sort of like the sister bar, sister restaurant to uh, Lock Bar. 
And uh, that seems like a pretty awesome build out uh, in itself. They have uh, this wall of doors that will open completely uh, to their patio. So, you know, it's for those three or four weeks that we get of outstanding weather in the spring um, and, you know, maybe a week or 10 days in the fall, I think that that, that is going to be definitely the, uh, the spot to be. So, all that. See you on Sunday uh, for the Tales episode. Um, it is... We'll talk a little bit about the competitions and, well, the, the Spirited Awards. So, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and keep the conversation going.